Hello, Jeremy Howard here again, following along with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Old Testament curriculum, the Come Follow Me Sunday School curriculum for that church. And today we're going to be looking at the book of Numbers. We've entered into the fast-paced section of the curriculum in, uh, let's see, January through the end of April, we were only looking at Genesis and Exodus. So it took a long time to get through those. Well, now we are going very fast. Last week, the section was covering Exodus 35 to 40, Leviticus 1, Leviticus 16, Leviticus 19. And that's all there was for Leviticus. This week, it's Numbers 11 through 14 and Numbers 20 through 24. And that's all that we have for the book of Numbers. And then next week, it's Deuteronomy 6 to 8, 15, 18, 29 to 30, and 34. Wowzer. And then the week after that, it's just Joshua. The week after that, it's just Judges. The week after that, it's Ruth and the beginning of 1 Samuel. So we have to just go really high level here. And today, uh, the the passage we're going to be considering is Numbers 22 to 24, talking about Balaam, this interesting prophet named Balaam. Now, a, a very important distinction to make from the beginning about Balaam is that he was a wicked man and a wicked prophet, but not a false prophet. Balaam was not a, a, a false prophet Whenever he prophesied, he spoke true things. Yet, it has to be recognized very clearly from the, the text that he was not a, uh, a great guy. He was not among the redeemed. God was not pleased with him. Uh, so we're going to work through that today. Well, in uh, Numbers 22 is where the story starts. And you have two men who are in view. Of course, there's Balaam and then there's Balak. He's a king, king of Moab. Balak. Now, quite possibly, the two names should be Balaam and Balak, but again, you know, I, you've probably heard me say this. I'm from Missouri, so I say everything wrong. We're going to say Balaam and Balak. The prophet Balaam and the king Balak, king of Moab. If you are in Utah, this is a different Moab. Not that Moab, a different one. <laughs> so the, the king of Moab, Balak, he wanted to curse Israel. He had known of Israel's success as they're headed toward the land God is giving them, their success in displacing people who were living in those lands, and they're just on their way to take this land that God has given them. He doesn't want that to happen. In fact, they are in a territory that was previously held by some of his constituents, and he's saying, look, we need to curse these people. And so he conspires with the Midianites to get this prophet, Balaam, over on his side, trying to get Balaam to curse the people of Israel. Well, Balaam does an interesting thing. He actually asks the God of Israel if he should do that. He asks Yahweh if he should curse Yahweh's people. And God says, hmm, no, you're not going to do that. He does grant that Balaam can go with these men, but he says, look, you can go with them, but the only things that you're allowed to say are the, the words that I put in your mouth. So God is going to use Balaam, even though Balaam himself wasn't, again, a, a good guy. Well, um, 
even though he granted that Balaam go with these men, he ends up getting angry with Balaam. And I've got to switch this over. Here we go. He gets angry with Balaam because Balaam goes with these men for uh, the wrong reason. It's what we find out in later texts, and we'll talk about that later. It says, God was angry, Numbers twenty-two twenty-two. God was angry because Balaam was going. He was going for the wrong reason. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right hand or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. Here you go. This is pretty interesting. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me through these these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a mockery of me, if there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, no. Notice he never says, wow, a talking donkey. <laughs> and, and don't read uh, Eddie Murphy's voice into the donkey, by the way. If any of you Shrek fans out there, this is a female donkey. So maybe Eddie Murphy's wife, whatever she sounds like. Well, this is interesting. Balaam on his way to go uh, meet the king of Moab and to uh, speak the words of God, yet in his heart he's wanting he's wanting a personal advantage from this interaction with the king of Moab. Because, of course, if he you know is able to perform in some way, he can get some money. I mean, the, the king of Moab, he's rich. Kings are rich. And so Balaam's looking for a way for personal advancement here. And uh, the Lord is, is stopping him. The angel of the Lord is in the way and uh, having a confrontation with him. And so there's some interaction going on there, and it's reaffirmed to him, look, you can go, but only speak the words I'm going to give you. And eventually he makes it. Eventually Balaam makes his way to uh, Moab, and he's with the king, Balak, and Balak takes him to uh, like three different points there in Moab, and that's chapter 23. And as he gets to these points, he's saying, okay, time to curse Israel. Glad you're here, Balaam. Time to curse Israel. But remember, Balaam can only speak what God gives him to speak. And so that's the next interaction we'll look at, or the next part of the narrative that we'll look at here in Numbers 23, starting in verse 4. Now God met Balaam, and he said to him, Balaam said to God, I have set up the seven altars, and I have offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and you shall speak thus. So he returned to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, and he and all the leaders of Moab. 
He took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me, Moab's king from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I, how shall I curse? This is an interesting question. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? As I see him from the top of the rocks, and I look at him from the hills, behold, a people who dwells apart and will not be reckoned among the nations, who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. Amazing prophecy. The heart of it being, how could Balaam, this wicked prophet, but not a false prophet, how could Balaam curse or denounce a people that God has not cursed or denounced? And that's what God is saying through him. Remember, it said that the Lord, Yahweh, put this word in Balaam. And so God is saying, look, uh, this isn't going to happen. It just it just isn't going to happen. Well, of course, this uh, didn't exactly please or satisfy King Balak. He didn't say, oh, well, if that's the case, I'm done with this whole endeavor to try to curse Israel. Let, let's just uh, let's change gears, change course. Nope. He says, let's try this again. So they go to a different place, and uh, we'll pick up the narrative there. This is verse 13 of Numbers 23. Balak said to him, please come with me to another place from where you may see them, although you will only see the extreme end of them and will not see all of them, and curse them for me from there. So he took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven offers and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, Stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. Sound familiar? This is like doing the whole thing over again. He came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the leaders of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? Here we go. Another word from the Lord. Then he took up his discourse and said, Arise, O Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have, a com- have received a command to bless. When he, God, has blessed, then I cannot revoke it. He has not observed misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord, his God, Israel's God, is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He is for them like the horns of the wild ox, for there is no omen against Jacob, nor is there any divination against Israel. At the proper time it shall be said to Jacob and to Israel what God has done. Behold, a people rises like a lioness, and as a lion it lifts itself. It will not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Whoa, that's pretty intense. But you see, again, this is blessing. There's blessing going on upon Israel. (laughs) This isn't a uh, curse against Israel. So, wow, 
Uh, Balak, not so happy. And they actually go to a third place, and they try it all again. <laughs> and uh, it just isn't happening. It's not happening. And so um, this is, puts them both in a pretty awkward situation, Balaam and Balak. And uh, we'll just pick up now in chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24, verse 1. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. He took up his his discourse and, and went on with another prophecy. Well, what's really fascinating about that is the Spirit of God came upon this wicked prophet. Again, not a false prophet but a wicked prophet. God is still using this wicked man to bring forth true prophecies. The Spirit of God is coming upon him who is confirming the words of his mouth. And God has said very plainly, he is going to bless his people, Israel. God has not cursed them. There's nothing in God against them. He has entered into covenant with this people. He has made certain unconditional promises that will come about for the nation of Israel, he is going to bless this nation. And he's not going to turn back on these things. That uh, second prophecy I read in chapter 23, verse 19, God's nature is the basis for him keeping his promises. Balaam truly said, God is not a man. He's not a man that he should lie. And he is not a son of man that he should change his mind. If he has said something, he is going to do it. You see, God's faithfulness to his promises is tied to his nature. In the book of Romans in the New Testament, it says, May God be found true, though every man be a liar. (laughs) Germane to the nature of mankind, created human beings, is this tendency to sin, this, uh, this propensity to lie and to do things that are wrong. For everybody listening to this, if someone were to ask you, have you ever told a lie? Well, if you were going to be honest, you would say, yeah, yeah, I have. Well, did you know that God has never told a single lie? He is not a man. He's never told a lie. In fact, there's an interesting story in the Old Testament that we'll get to eventually in our study sometime this summer, where... Um, God wants to confound an earthly king, and so he asks if there are any spirits that are willing to go lie to the king. God himself will not tell a lie, and so he's using a, a spirit to go tell a lie. And the reason that God doesn't lie, and the reason that God is perfectly faithful to all of his promises that he always follows through, is because he is not a man. He is the creator. He is in no way a creature. He has no God above him who created him, but he's the creator of all things. And when I say all, I mean all. There is not one thing that exists anywhere that God did not create. God creates all things. So that's really important to note is that the basis of God's faithfulness is his unique nature as creator, the eternal creator. Well, let me share with you uh, one last interaction here with Balak and Balaam and and these prophecies that are going on. So this is still Numbers 24, verse 10. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, the king said to the prophet, 
I called you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have persisted in blessing them these three times. Therefore, flee to your place now. I said I would honor you greatly, but behold, the Lord has held you back from honor. Wow. Really interesting statement there by that prideful king. Verse 12, Balaam said to Balak, so the prophet back to the king, Did I not tell your messengers whom you had sent to me, saying, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything contrary to the command of the Lord, either good or bad, of my own accord? What the Lord speaks, that I will speak. And now, behold, I am going to my people. Come, and I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the days to come. And again, this wicked but not false prophet took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. Now listen to this. This wicked but not false prophet says, verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be a possession. Seir, its enemies, will also be a possession. While Israel performs valiantly, one from Jacob shall have dominion and will destroy the remnant from the city. This prophet, wicked but not false, says that a star will come forth from Jacob. Jacob, of course, is another name for the nation of Israel. And a scepter shall rise from Israel. We're not talking about here a person who is alive at this time, but someone who's coming in the future. There's a future tense to this, as you can see. There's one coming from this nation. And the star, the scepter, shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down the sons of Sheth. There will be a total destruction of, of Israel's enemies, those who are set against Israel. There will be a destruction of them when this one comes. That's, that's something very interesting to note. Now, I, I want to connect this to the New Testament. In uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, it says, this is uh, the wise men speaking, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. These uh, magi, wise men, whatever you want to say. Uh, that's a whole another conversation. But, but they saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, this isn't a direct... Uh, correspondence with what is previous, but isn't it interesting that we're told that a star will come forth from Jacob, and these men are saying they saw his star in the east. Now, what is his star? What is Jesus's star? This is, of course, the story of when Jesus was born. Well, this the only connection we can make to any previous scripture is Numbers 24. Jesus's star in the east led them to him. And he is called a star of Jacob, all the way back in Numbers 24. 
Yet, we also recognize that this aspect of the prophecy, that he's going to crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down the sons of Sheth, that didn't happen when Jesus was born, right? Uh, you don't remember reading the Gospel of John and, and reading that Jesus crushed through someone's forehead uh, forehead as a scepter. <laughs> if you did read that, you're, you're reading quite a different translation than the one I have. So what's the deal with that? Well, if we go to Revelation 22, verse 16... Jesus is speaking and says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He's calling himself uh, the star. And again, in Numbers 24, you have the uh, star that's coming forth from Jacob. And here he calls himself the bright morning star, also the root and descendant of David, which we'll get into later in the Old Testament. But there's going to be a star coming forth, a scepter from Israel, crushing through the enemies of Israel. And, of course, in the book of Revelation, we finally get to that point. At Jesus' second coming, he returns as the rider on the horse. There's a sword coming out of his mouth. His eyes are a flame of fire, and he strikes down the nations, rules them with a rod of iron. So at the second coming of Christ, we see a total fulfillment of his role as the star of Jacob, the scepter from Israel, though we caught a glimpse of that, of course, in his first coming. Pretty cool that this prophecy is coming to fruition later on in the New Testament, but it's a prophecy that came through a, uh, a wicked man. Wicked man, but not a false prophet. Well, let me give you a, uh, a little ending to the story here. Balaam did find a way to advance his own personal agenda. He ended up advising that the uh, sons of Israel intermarry with the Midianite women, that they go and they worship the Baal or Baal, the false god of the pagan people. And so uh, Balaam never really uh, came around, did he? He, he? he didn't repent. He didn't have this amazing moment where uh, he truly came to know the Lord in his heart and live by faith didn't have any of that going on. And in fact, in the New Testament, we see, I think, in three different passages that uh, that Balaam, there's a spirit of Balaam that even false prophets today can have. Uh, even though Balaam wasn't a false prophet, that same wickedness is shared with false prophets today. And the spirit of Balaam is something, of course, to be avoided, to be uh, repudiated. And I'll read to you just from Second Peter chapter 2, um, starting in verse 13. Talking about false prophets, it says, They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having hearts trained in greed, accursed children, abandoning the right way. They have gone astray, having followed in the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the reward of unrighteousness. That's particularly what made him wicked. That was his besetting, biggest besetting sin, you could say. He loved the reward of unrighteousness. But God used him anyway to speak truth. That is how big God is. God is so outside and over all of creation <laughs> that he can bring about his perfect purposes and his perfect truth, his word, 
through a wicked prophet. Not a false prophet. Wicked prophet. If he was left to his own devices, of course, Balaam would have been a false prophet. But God used him anyway, yet never saved him. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's amazing. That teaches us something about the sovereignty, the beauty, the goodness of God, doesn't it? That he would use such a man to issue his word and that we can read it today. He's preserved it for us to be able to read and to study and to learn. Wow. Well, thanks for joining me today. Catch you next week as we go to the book of Deuteronomy, my favorite Old Testament book. How on earth am I going to do that in one video? We'll find out then. See you then.